fuck, where are my notes? <laughs> <laughs> so good. And then... <laughs> yep. Okay, it's 9.50. Uh, do you want to talk about the play or do you want to move on to Artist Spotlight? What do you want to do? I don't know. I mean, it's up to you. Um... It's up to me? Well, fuck us. I don't know how to direct us. You're doing wonderfully. <laughs> you send out an agenda. You're so prepared. You've actually listened to the play. You know the topic. You're able to debate and discuss queer matters with intelligence. What more do you need, Taylor? <laughs> Love the Tokyo Closet Bubble Podcast fun for one and all Loving life and standing tall Tokyo Closet Ball Good evening, Konbanwa, and welcome to the Tokyo Closet Ball Podcast. My name is Tatiana, and tonight we are going to talk about Kok, a play by Mike Barlett in, from 2009. Please welcome to the stage, Mix Tokyo Closet Ball 2022, Mixterious. How are you, Mixterious? Hi, I'm tired. Thanks for asking. It's been a day. It's been a day, right? I mean, you and I were going back to school after spring break. Oh, I'm already at school, actually, at my new place of employment, which is so great. I I like it so much. Um, it pays my bills and it gives me a sense of um accomplishment that's the word exactly today at my school we didn't have classes so i just played uh sui Koden 2 on my phone <laughs> you got played to play game you got paid to play games good for you exactly so represent the old um playstation one uh, jrpgs <laughs> and here we have a thespian a actor a Wait, are those the same thing? Okay, let's try that again. And with us, we have an actor, a singer, and computer scientist. Let's welcome to the podcast, Karen Polly. Hello, how are you, Karen? I am fine, thank you. <laughs> I'm amused to be called a computer scientist, although you are correct. It's just been a while since anyone has actually called me that, since I do quite a lot of theater work now. But absolutely, I was a computer scientist for so much longer than I've been doing theater, so. The only computer silence I know is control alt delete. That's mm. pretty much all I know. Is that a science thing? Not quite sure I would describe that as science, more a mechanical thing, but yes, it's awesome that you know that. Excellent. <clears throat> Making his debut on the Tokyo Closet Ball cast, you know him from plays such as Spring Awakening and Tips Cozy Reads. Give a warm welcome to Zach Kobayashi. Hey, Zach, how are you doing? Hey, doing good, doing good. Um... In regards to computer science, I don't do that, but I hire computer scientists. I hire software engineers. So I, it's a funny connection we have there. Nice, nice. Have you hired anyone interesting recently? <laughs> nope. <laughs> I like Zach. <laughs> now, recently no. when I go on websites, I see a pretty woman asking me to click a button. Should I do that? <laughs> hmm. i don't know why why not Tr just give it a shot see what happens it wouldn't be the worst virus you cut <laughs> oh! <laughs> and speaking of viruses tonight's play is in a sexual nature uh, if you are listening in public you may want to turn the sound down but we're going to say the word cock quite off quite a lot 
In fact, I've said it so much, it has no meaning. Cock, cock, cock. It sounds like something you'd order with a brandy. <laughs> this play is directed by Karen Polly. Can you read us the log line? I think Lizzie Howard taught me to say the word log line, but no one else uses it. Yeah, I'm going to say, what is that, Taylor? What is it you want me to read? In America, we would call it the elevator pitch. Like, imagine you're in an elevator with a producer. Okay. And you have the time of the elevator okay. ride to describe your project. Okay, okay. Um, I can never describe anything in the time of an elevator ride, as I'm sure you're aware. But, okay, so this play. So it's about a guy called John who has been in a stable relationship with his boyfriend, M, for a number of he years. He has a boyfriend? Hashtag can't relate. <laughs> so he has a boyfriend. But when he takes a break, um, basically they break up for a bit, he accidentally falls in love with a woman who he has sex with and then torn between the two of them he doesn't know which of them to stay with so it is a classic love triangle i'm bisexual this wouldn't be a problem <laughs> and actually one of the things it's about is about john not wanting to have any sort of label for himself <laughs> we mentioned the character john i can't wait to hear the other names i bet they're so creative what are the other names well, John's male partner is called M, and uh, the woman he goes out with is called W, and mm, M's father is called F. Not Man, w. woman, and father. Wow, how, how interesting. Creative. <laughs> well, of course, right. We're saying how interesting, but this story centers on John, and the playwright is making a very obvious choice in calling the characters woman and man and whether we agree with him deciding to do that he is really mm. i mean it's a very deliberate choice and a lot of stuff in the play we'll start to see a lot of that sort of gender roles that have been attributed to m and w in this play sounds interesting let's move over to zach for a minute which character are you playing zach so i am playing the character of john actually Oh my gosh, you're the star of the show. No pressure, right? <laughs> well, to be honest, I think in my personal opinion, after having kind of worked with the script a little bit, gone through some rehearsals, uh, even though the story is centered around John, I definitely think that in terms of like the number of lines and the importance, I think that, I don't know, Karen, how you feel, but all characters are pretty equal in my opinion. Um, I think that it's... It's a very, I think, balanced kind of cast. So I'm really excited to, to work with my fellow castmates as well. Okay. Let me ask you what attracted you to this play. What attracted you as a director? <laughs> and what attracted you to audition for this play? All right, so what attracted me to direct it? Right, so I have been looking at a variety of material for tips stage reading season. Um, so stage readings, we've talked about before, but stage readings don't have sets, they don't have props necessarily, we don't have a lot of things you'd have in a full production. So that means that the text of the script is really important. And I'm aware that all plays have words in them and stuff, but this particular play is really about the dialogue and the drama. So when you read the description, it says there's no scenery, no props, no furniture and no mime. Instead, the focus is entirely on the drama of the scene. So this is a piece that works really well when people are standing at music stands and just reading. The other thing it doesn't have are stage directions. So stage directions are really annoying readings because if plays are all about magical things, say like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang was about a flying car, if it's about that sort of thing, 
if someone just reads a flying car appears it's not as exciting as seeing one on stage right so something that's so text-based is useful um other stuff i've done with tip i mean i was working on something like cinderella i mean a stage reading of cinderella i've actually got one of the stage directions here it says Marie casts a spell on the pumpkin and the pumpkin blows up like a balloon. The leaves peel away. The pumpkin explodes and the carriage is revealed. Well, quite frankly, that's exceptionally dull if I speak it. Mm. If you're seeing it on stage, you expect to see a pumpkin explode into a carriage, which is amazing, right? So this type of play that I'm doing doesn't have anything like that in it. All of it is about the drama between the people. And it's a whole bunch of conversations of people arguing and fighting and the sort of conversations that lovers and partners have that we normally don't get to be party to. But that also makes it a bit uncomfortable because you're constantly being dumped in the middle of these scenes. Some of them are explicit sex scenes and stuff that are spoken, which also brings a very interesting element to it. So I just liked how detailed the text was. And that's why I decided to do it. I'd heard about it a few years back and I hadn't read it at that time. But the name Cock, funny enough, stayed with me. So when I was looking <laughs> to read, I read plays quite a bit. So Yeah, with all of my gender searching, I can also agree that Cock has stayed with me as well. Good, uh, good. So... <laughs> as it now. <laughs> yes, I had to wonder how many Cock jokes can we make in one night? It's going to be pretty alarming. But yeah, so I... I really do like like the play and I also like it because it starts with a um, relationship between two men. I like that it's a queer story. Not so, I mean, there are elements of it. They're definitely controversial and interesting, but I do like that as well, so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How about you, Zach? What made you want to audition for this play? He did. He did. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, to be honest. Oh, well, <laughs> I can't I did wait not, to hear this story. <laughs> I did not specifically audition for this play. Um, it was uh, just based on a general audition that I had submitted and Karen had asked if I would be interested. Um, and I think kind of what drew me to it, I guess, in a way after finding out what it was, was a lot of what Karen sh shared. But I think in terms of more on the, the actor side, it's the the way that the the dialogue is so natural and so uh, unfiltered, I guess. Uh, so there are many times in the script where it's very difficult to kind of understand, you know, where are you cutting off? Where are the inflections there? Things like that, because there aren't like solid full sentences. A lot of, it really does sound like people are actually talking like you, you, you know, held a tape recorder to a conversation and just wrote down everything that they said. And so there's a lot of stuttering, there's a lot of repeating of, of phrases. And so mm -hmm. I felt that it was a very interesting challenge to, um, you know, approach the script. And we've had a lot of a lot of good times in, in rehearsal, just interpreting and, and analyzing, okay, what do we think is actually going on here? What do we think that these, you know, what are these characters thinking at this time? And so I think that it's been a big challenge, but a really fun one to take on. Mm -hmm. I like how you mentioned the dialogue because I found the play on SoundCloud. I listened to about 30 minutes. I had no idea what was going on. Just <laughs> listening. Ah. It's like, it's, you have to use a lot of imagination, I suppose, just to figure out mm -hmm. what's going on. Oh, that, that makes sense. It, because it, so it time jumps a lot, right? And it, it jumps to mid scene. Some of it goes into real time as well. It can be quite hard in some ways to follow. And because it keeps starting mid sentence and mid 
conversation, it can be tricky. And I mean, if I read you the first line, you take it out, that's what you do. You fucking take it out first. Otherwise, what's the point? I'm sorry, Karen, but there's no swearing on this podcast. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That is a fucking lie. <laughs> yeah. You're a liar. I was surprised by that. <laughs> what I was actually expecting Taylor to say at that point is he's never heard me swear before because that's what I thought he was going to say. Did you really just say that, Karen? But I am quoting this. Um, so it well, doesn't count. So now you're still pure in the eyes um, of, yeah. the, of the Somehow. theater lords yeah, yeah. Somehow. <laughs> it, I'm, I'm just quoting honestly the audience is being thrown straight into this evening conversation between two men in their home doing that sort of thing that couples and partners do where they're bickering and picking each other you know one's doing his best to cook dinner and the other one's there going oh you haven't got a clue what you're doing you're mucking it all up so you start to see and as zach was saying this sort of conversation it's very natural which means it's got no explanations. You know yourself, if you're watching a TV show, sometimes they're practically narrating what is happening. Mm. You know, just well, they don't trust their audience to understand, so they have to bloody <laughs> uh, describe everything that they just yes. saw. Exactly, right? <laughs> this their toy in Star Trek. Oh, let me just explain what everyone's feeling. Oh, yes, we goodness. knew that, Troy. <laughs> and they do it even in modern Star Trek. Anyway, <laughs> um, so yes. This play does not do that, unashamedly does not do that, to the extent that actually for actors and stuff, when I have conversations with them, they're not always sure what's happening. So we have to have these discussions around, well, what could it be? What do we agree that it is? And how do you bring that intention across when you're speaking? So yes, it's been, it's been a very interesting process. And <laughs> last night in rehearsal, we got to some of the, um, well, the innuendos in it and things like that. And I don't know if- <laughs> and again I don't know how obvious or not they will be so yes I think it's interesting that you listened to part of that because I think if you listen to a podcast that would have been the original cast the other thing about that podcast is they took out the swearing oh they did well they did the first line oh, was different though? yeah so here's it the was thing. BBC is why yes uh. Uh, so there is a, yeah, there is another version of this, more than one other version of this play. There is a version of this play, um, an American version, where they called it um, the cockfight play because they didn't want to call it cock. Um, and they also removed an awful lot of the swearing. Cowards. Yeah, <laughs> they removed loads of the swearing. I was really surprised. Free the cock. Yeah, so I got, I have both versions and I went through them to see if there was anything else. To be honest, I was hoping that a newer version might have removed some of the things that I consider transphobic in the script mm -hmm. and it hadn't. What it had done is it had removed the swearing. So yeah, <laughs> it is what it is. Let's talk about sexuality. Yeah, baby. <laughs> so even though it's a staged reading, the actors cannot touch each other, but they say a lot of words. They say so words about hands and genitals and things happening to bodies um so i know for like hollywood films they have what's the word like an intimacy coordinator yep. so what are some of the considerations you make with the intimacy of your cast i mean even though they're not touching they're still saying these things to each other i can understand if people feel uncomfortable with that yes so mm -hmm. There's a lot of advice on how to direct intimacy now. 
um, all of the big Netflix shows use intimacy coordinators. I have attended courses on intimacy direction. I have a book over there on how to direct sex, although it's mostly about how to direct sex where people actually touch. So there Can you are... help me direct sex? Because I'm really bad at it. <laughs> <laughs> Do I have to? I don't think I've enough that for that. Put that on your Tinder profile. That's the rules. That's how it works now. I'll put that on my grinder. I have a sex director. <laughs> so, there are things that you have to be careful with. So yes, you need to be careful that people feel that they're in a safe space, that they can trust the director. You have to be careful of the language you use. So for a long time, people shied away from the words. They would say, he's, you know always he, he's aroused he's oh it's like and they won't actually say it right so the director themselves can make the whole thing really uncomfortable so my advice to people directing plays if you cannot say things like he has an erection in a show where there's a scene where someone has an erection do not direct that play and you're not supposed to make nothing is about the sexuality of your actors it's all about the character every conversation has to be how does john have sex how does john feel in this situation none of it is about the the actors and one of the reasons that intimacy directors became so important is a lot of directors would simply say things like oh oh go down on him <laughs> right and i mean there's a lot of famous examples like kira knightley apparently was told in something to wank someone off like what like, what is that? So if you're directing sex where people touch each other, it should be like choreography. It's like a dance. You should be telling them how long to touch, where to touch, how to touch. And you should be avoiding any nudity that is not required, any touching that is not required. You should be doing everything in your power to keep them safe. And it is not sex and it's not simulated sex, right? It, it's an act from two characters. So I'm glad that there's a lot of work being done to keep people safer. <clears throat> in these rooms and also directors are not supposed to demonstrate things on actor i mean there's been some terrible things that have been done but it is still very tricky because it does mean talking about um things that do make people uncomfortable and things that might be outside their own experience yes speaking of things that are uh outside people's experiences like so much of sexuality in media is phallocentric it's all about the penis. It must get hard. It must penetrate. It must come. And that's just a very limiting way of looking at sex. Like, for one, it ignores the feelings of the receiving partner, but just as importantly, it's putting so much pressure on the active partner as well. So I think, you know, talking about sexuality that is not all fellow-centric is a great way to, um, inform the character and inform who these people really are. Uh, hey, Zach, so how did you feel about having to tackle these challenging topics, such as basically having like sex scenes without really touching, is it like socially distanced sexual exploration through <laughs> through stage? How, how did that go? How'd that feel? Wow, that is a uh, contemporary term there, socially distanced sexual encounters. Mm -hmm. um, so to be honest, this is one of my like first experiences dealing with sex scene in theater and in acting, and it's uh it's definitely a definitely an interesting experience. Um, I really I, I'm excited to work into it, and I I think I really trust Karen in her direction, and I I'm excited to like really really dive into it. Um, so far it's been really about like trying to understand yeah kind of like what karen was was mentioning before like where's john where's my character in this situation 
kind of where is his headspace at? Um, you know, what are his intentions there? And then I, I definitely am looking forward to kind of working with the other actor in terms of uh, when we actually are like rehearsing the scenes and things like that. And so, um, yeah, I definitely, it's an interesting experience for sure. And especially for my first time as well, but, um, but yeah, I think now. it's, <laughs> my first time on stage let's say that and uh it's it's definitely um definitely fun though and, and, a, and an interesting challenge nice i like that can i actually ask a follow-up question yeah sure okay so as i mentioned socially distant sexual exploration this is this production going to also be like through zoom or is it going to be on a stage it's on a stage it's okay okay it's on stage okay sorry no, no worries. It's taking place on a stage in our space. Um, there's a lot of COVID ah. measures and restrictions and stuff that um, TIP have put in place. Um, so they, they cast have all been um, vaccinated and boosted and they will be taking a PCR test before the production so mm. they can do it without masks. And the audience is really small in size. It's going to be an audience of 15 people. Um, I'm going to say I'm very glad that it's taking place in person and not over Zoom because these scenes are tricky and awkward. I know that if I was watching it from a distance, I would remove myself from the more, you know, tricky things to watch. Um, but I wouldn't connect in the same way. The the intent of the playwright was to have an audience that's raked towards down towards the actors as if the actors are in like a boxing ring or a fight. It's supposed to be personal and intimate, and you're supposed to be you know, hearing and seeing things you normally don't. So I don't think it would work hugely well over something like Zoom. My other concern actually is that it's very funny in places and the actors don't really know where it's funny. I mean- Show me on the doll where it's funny. Yeah, right. So they're reading no. it. And That's a sex not... joke. <laughs> they're reading it and they don't know when the, where the audience is gonna respond. So you know this, if you're performers, you know that trying to perform when you have no interaction with your audience, the audience is a massive part of every performance. And if they're not there, you know, it, I just worry it become, you know, just a lot of people yelling at each other. <laughs> oh, I'm going to talk to you about that after the, after the recording. Okay. 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 We're okay. talking about identity, <clears throat> right? Identity. Hey everybody. My favorite titty is identity. <laughs> <laughs> You you broke yourself. <laughs> you can't even get out the whole word. <laughs> Fuck it. This is worth a full production. I... <laughs> you're strong. You're strong. <laughs> Are you though? Because you cracked halfway through the word titty. <laughs> <laughs> so like a gay man to be intimidated by boobs. <laughs> Identity is very important. I identified as a bisexual. It was the worst five minutes of my life. No? Why do people laugh when I'm not trying to make a joke? That, you were try That's not true. You were trying to make a joke. We did laugh. Just, just recently. I believe it was all 10 seconds ago. Oh. Clear skies, clear skies, clear skies. Oh, clear oh my God. One day for TIP. This is a side note. I apologize. One day in TIP, I'm just going to say the words seven foot frame, rats along his back. And then just watch the chaos unfold. <laughs>
oh my god there is going to be some auditioner who's going to audition with bruno and do all five of the voices i just know that's <laughs> it's going to be days. me don't steal my thunder <laughs> <sighs> Um, <clears throat> I had to cough because I was laughing so hard. <laughs> yeah, that coffee enema is hitting me hard. Okay, oh, let's get oh. back to the topic. It's okay. fine. Okay. We're not going anywhere. We're all happy. We're all friends. We're all good. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you want to try again? You want to try without <laughs> breaking this time? You good? It's fine. It's fine. I can use this bit for the cold open. I'll use this bit for the the one minute teaser trailer. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Now, directing queer media has certain uh, challenges that other media doesn't have. You can watch a movie from 100 years ago and it holds up very well today. Look at a queer story from 10 or 20 years ago and it doesn't always hold up well. For example, um, Brokeback Mountain. It was so brave and so uh, daring at the time. But if you look at Brokeback Mountain, they call it the gay cowboy movie. They never even mention bisexuality or anything like that. One thing I like to say to a lot of queer people in my community, it's so much different than a racial identity or a religious identity where you're kind of born into it and your parents can explain it to you. When you realize you're a queer person, you have to connect with other people like you and they all grow up using different words and maybe they use words different than what the words you grew up with which is why <clears throat> this play written in 2009 uses words that um, many people would not personally use today. So identity, Karen, go. <laughs> okay. Right, so yes, the play was written in 2009. Um, 2009, if you think about it historically, is about four years after the UK um, first had civil <laughs> partnerships just to set it in context. And homosexuality would have been decriminalized in England, where this play is set, um, at the end of the 1960s, about 1967. See, I'm from Northern Ireland, where it didn't happen until about 1982. And because I'm also Irish, it didn't happen there until 1992. So if you think about the characters um, in this play, the age of them and what they grew up with, right? So father in this play would have been born after the likes of um, World War II, he would have gone through the 60s and he would have gone through this change in England in a different way than someone like John, who is like 30 years old and would have been a child of the 80s or 90s, depending when you think it's set, if we set it today. So, yes, of course, the language and the way we describe things is rapidly changing now because I think people are freer to talk about some of these things. Um, one of the things about identity in the play is that they keep <clears throat> wanting John to say who he is or what he is you need to decide what you are and it comes up quite a bit because john is in a relationship with a man and a woman and john does not want to say and one of the things that interests me is that john's character i think has the right not to give himself a particular label if he chooses in the same way that the other characters like m who identify as gay absolutely can use the term and i find myself when i was reading it absolutely thinking things like hmm is he bisexual but of course now i'm thinking is he pansexual because of the way he describes himself and then i realize i'm doing it i'm putting him in a box again mm. i want to understand how everybody works so i'm putting them in my label box and my label box grows all the time and mm. i shouldn't do that because john does not do that mm -hmm. right mm. if john does that that's fantastic but he doesn't 
And I need, mm. even as a director, to stop myself wanting to label everything here and to decide exactly how everyone in this piece identifies. And I think the playwright, when he wrote it, he was thinking at that time in 2009, he was thinking about how gender identity was becoming more fluid. So this thing about father in this play talks about gayness as being genetic. And that is, again, of its time um, when it was. Yeah. I was about to say that sounds very like 2010-ish era for sure. That was that was like a big topic for some for like conversations about how there's a gay gene. And I remember strangely there was a Law and Order episode about it about like yeah about a uh, a doctor who was murdered. Okay, spoilers for Law and Order that you <laughs> from like years ago, like a decade. Oh my god, it was over a decade ago. Okay. So there was a doctor who supposedly found the quote unquote gay gene and basically was murdered with the, I, I can't remember exactly the reasons why, but basically the idea was this doctor found this gene. And so people were worried that babies would be aborted in the thousands if they were found to have the gene, something, 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 something over-exaggerated and yeah. ridiculous for the time. But that was really a thing. That was like a, a scaremongering tactic too, used by like a bunch of people that are pro-eugenics of like, yeah, we should totally like find it and get rid of it. So I remember this, this was indeed something. I remember this was like, uh, I would have been a senior junior in university as well. Mm -hmm. And the pre-med students, one person did a paper on it yep. at our university. Yeah, almost got expelled from it too, because it was very bad. It was one of those like, not even hidden discriminatory bad papers. Mm -hmm. I don't remember who did it, but like, it was really bad. I think that person ended up transferring out. I think they were like, it was not a good time for them. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, you're correct. I, that, that was about that time where it was yeah. and that. It was about That's that time. And yeah, also, the only gay gene I'm interested in is my pair of trousers that have a zipper in the back. Uh, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> yes. Uh. Well, it also, as well as being, as you said, um, something they were talking about scientifically, it was also something that was used to try and help people change how they felt. So if you think about growing up, so I grew up in a country where I'm saying that um, it was only, I mean, homosexuality was only decriminalized in 1982 or 1992, <clears throat> right? So an awful lot of people thought it was something abhorrent or wrong. And one of the things that was used to try to change people's minds or opinions was this concept, but it's genetics and they're born like that. And there's, you know, you're discriminated against a person for that sort of thing. And it was, so it was definitely used as well like that at the time. And, and the father and this, I can, when I hear his speeches on it and his thought processes, I remember hearing those from people. I remember hearing those arguments and people describing it like that. And it's really interesting because at one point he would have been seen as incredibly open-minded. And yet today we read it and think he's close-minded and it's not that much further on. So thankfully some things are changing. However, because of where I'm from in Northern Ireland, I don't think things are changing as fast as we would like them to. And that a lot of the things that are in here, like some of the, the jokes and stuff that are made, I think people still make them. And I think people still <clears> hold <throat> these opinions. Well, I mean, oh, Dave yeah. Chappelle. Yeah, Dave. My, uh, if you go to Closet Ball before 2016, yeah, you'll hear those jokes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just, you know, the type of 
type of jokes we saw, like, you know, the tea slur, for example. Like back in Eugene, Oregon, I had a lot of drag queens and transgender friends. My transgender friends called themselves the tea slur, T-A-R-A-N-N-Y. They called themselves that word because that's what they grew up with. That's the only word they knew to call themselves. Mm. Yeah, and uh, mm-hmm. in college and university, the drag queens would call each other that, like as for like, but like I, I had the feeling it was like they could use it, you know, like I couldn't, of course, and everything like that. They called me that, but that's uh, that, that's fine. No, it's a whole story. We're not gonna get into it. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> it's, it's it requires a lot of backstory. We don't have time, but uh, the ideas of like that, yeah, like language changes over time. It's true. But the jokes that still punch down have not really at all changed, really. They come differently packaged. And now I feel like there's a resurgence of them because of, you know, certain book authors. Yes. Who shall oh, yes. be? Um, R.W. Um, walking. Yeah, yes. that one. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And now when we read things like that, yeah, it's like uncomfortable, but it was it existed back then and people called themselves that they called each other that and it wasn't you know it's not something you can just erase it's not something you can take away from history either it's going to be there mm-hmm. zach go ahead yeah um it, it kind of i think going back to karen's point or earlier about like um categorizing people and how john doesn't really see himself in any of these categories i think uh, in my personal opinion, I feel like that was kind of like ahead of its time a little bit because now I think more recently this 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 concept and this idea of people just not wanting like any labels really, um, they just you know they don't want to be gay, straight, bi, you know anything like that. They just want to just be themselves. I feel like that is almost kind of yeah a recent thing that I've at least experienced in terms of like my circles and my my uh, peers, and so. I think that it's interesting that in 2009, this character exists where he's just not even really wanting to be labeled as anything. And I thought that that was kind of interesting. And so that's been really interesting, at least from my perspective to try and like get into that mindset. And, you know, again, like I know some people who are kind of in that boat. And so like, I definitely, you know kind of want to understand a little bit more about that, what, what it's like to kind of live in that that mindset and um i think that also kind of thinking into the future kind of i've always wondered this is like is that kind of where we're going to get to eventually because like psychologically speaking and things we as humans our brains naturally want to categorize everything so that it makes the world easier to understand and easier to to digest and so that's why we just have these natural tendencies to be like okay you are this and you are that and that person's that and that person's that and so I think as we evolve and as as we have been evolving and as we continue to like our language and everything and the concepts and the uh, the the paradigms and the the schemas that we know today, I wonder like you know is it eventually going to be that way where it's just we don't have words for sexuality anymore and you just you just love who you love or you don't love anybody that you know it, I'm I thought it's a really interesting concept and I think it's so interesting that it's here now in this play that was written in two thousand and nine. Yes, I think that. Uh we're still at a time where we do need the vocabulary still just because it's hard to find other people still who like gender fluidity is still kind of new 
you know, right, right. as a concept, like yeah. you said, but yeah, that is the dream, right? The dream is to get to that point where we don't need them anymore, possibly, yeah. but like, yeah. it's for now, I, I agree, like sometimes some media does need more time to, to grow with it's mm. like it's a, it's ideas you know or it's yeah. concepts that's just kind of how art works yeah no I definitely feel like this is something that will probably take many 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 like years <laughs> into the future mm. eventually but I bet you know whatever like 100 years from now or whatever they'll be looking back and they'll just be like just the same way how we're talking about these you know kind of slurs and things like that they're going to be looking at the same language and same concepts that we have and they'll probably just think like wow like how archaic like yeah you know well how did they used to live like that like it, it's an interesting thought so i just did a quick google search apparently the word homosexual first came about in um in 1889 wow so basically that word is a very new word even though same-sex attraction has been happening uh for <laughs> for as long as human beings have been bumping uglies I'm beautiful. What are you talking about? My penis <laughs> is is medium attractive. Anyway, that's not the point. Let's move on. The point is, like, um, like in ancient Japan, you'll find murals and poems about lesbian attraction and gay attraction, but people just thought of it as a action and not an identity. So we as queer people, we're constantly discovering ourselves. And I think stories like Cock are a great way to uh, get new tools to better articulate uh, our identities. Coming up is Artist Spotlight, Mike Barlett. Who the hell is this British bloke up in here, governor? Yes, matey, governor. <laughs> British? Governor. Governor? <laughs> Governor British. Zach, did you grow up in Japan or in another country? I grew up in the U.S. In the U.S., okay. Yes. Your British accent is about the same as mine. Yeah, not, not as father. good. I have a British father, okay. so I say British vocabulary in an American accent. Yeah, I noticed that. Why do you Why do you talk that way? Why do you, yeah. think, why do you say things like, y'all, y'all better than, or y'all better than? <laughs> Lol. So, Mike Barlett. Her out. <laughs> here are the items of topic: Britishness, crassness, sexuality, overt sexual descriptions, queerness, and intersectionality. Or Let's lack thereof. <laughs> oh, oh, mysterious! I knew you were going to talk about that. That's why I booked you for this podcast. Okay, okay, okay. Let's start with the easy and then move on to the more complicated. Oh, heavens above, are we supposed to actually discuss in detail Mike Bartlett? I mean, it's wonderful. People can always look him up on Wikipedia. So yes, he is an English playwright. Um, he's probably in his 40s. I think he was born around 1980. He is very successful, has done a lot of stuff with the National Theatre. This play is one that he wrote while he was in Mexico um, teaching other people playwriting. He wrote it, he said himself he wrote it, he was writing it in the gay district of Mexico and he was fascinated by the concept of such a religious country and also the things like cockfighting and bullfighting um, that continued there. So this play is about a fight like a cockfight. Um, so 
he doesn't he's one of those playwrights who doesn't actually want you to know that much about him so sometimes when you're doing a play you're told find out as much as you can about the playwright where he was born what he thinks what he's feeling what she's thinking feeling they're thinking feeling those things are i mean they're important but this playwright is not keen on people doing that so mike bartlett wants you to explore the text and not mike bartlett like me with my students <laughs> Don't look at me, speak. look at the book. Uh, you, you never experience true fear until a child okay, screams okay. across a room. What is that blue on your chest? <laughs> like as a top volume in a crowd of children. Tattoos? That I didn't, I wasn't supposed to show it, but it peeked out from underneath one of my shirts and then it was, it was a problem. But I was like, nothing, it's marker. And then we had to move on. So it's, <laughs> it's fine i i'm fine it worked out but yes uh that Mommy was that was Daddy are just wrestling it's it's nothing <laughs> fun. it's fine it's <laughs> very similar vein of lie yes <laughs> you know what it's always fine to lie to children as i don't have a good way to end that sentence <laughs> so long as they keep believing in santa claus yes exactly okay we're good this is why i'm never going to have children i am just my job is to take care of other people's children my my genetic material let's not finish that sentence yep i can't think i think it's karen's turn to talk <laughs> well so there's no doubt he's an english playwright and you can hear it in the language that he uses so as you say his the way that he constructs sentences and some of the words he uses are not the way that Americans would necessarily speak. Um, I have two American actors in the cast, so they do struggle at times. They were struggling last night <laughs> with one of the words. I was going to say so badly. I nearly phrased that so badly. I'm so sorry, Zach. I will try to say it correctly. <laughs> they struggled which, last Which word was it? Whack. They, they struggled with whack? Well, yes, because I don't know. See, to my house, I'll give you some advice. Hey. <laughs> well, so one of the issues for me, I mean, you're asking about the things that are British. So obviously the things like talking about stew, talking about the tube. Um, so there's a lot of cultural things there, talk man. They use a lot of things that people from England or whatever would know. So one of the issues for me is that since I am British and Irish, I don't necessarily notice all of the constructs that are British. So when someone said to me, Americans don't talk about whacking off, I have no idea that that's a, a thing, but it's a British thing. I know that wanker, which appears in it is pretty British. I also know that my cast struggled with saying arse. So they say ass, um, <laughs> right? So some of those sorts of slurs and the way that they insult each other have different levels of strength in America versus the UK. Again, something that I learned the hard way when I used words that I considered were minor insults and Americans nearly fell off their chair. Like so a word that begins with C and ends in... Um... Unt. Aunt. <laughs> yeah, that that is also something that when I actually came to uh, came to Japan and uh, an Australian person just like screamed it at me and I was like, hello. Yes. So it, it was a it was fun. The thing is, it's like it's just fun, fun, you know, verbal banter for yeah. anyone else who's not American. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. The word cunt is just like the word darling in the South America in South of America. Yeah. So like Kentucky, uh, you'd say, hey, darling. And Australia, hey. C word. Yes. So this play also uses darling and sweetheart in it. And it's interesting how they're used because again, that's also a very British thing and it can be used as an endearment as it is um, amongst strangers usually. But whenever people who are having dinner together, it's used like a weapon. So the language in this play is used to 
hit and jab and attack. Oh no, that's Southern America. That Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. That 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 is also. It does cross into some cultural territories. Don't worry. Yes, my father has used the word "darling" as a weapon before. I can guarantee. I can confirm that. Yeah. Uh, also, bless her heart uh, yeah. is something that Southerns use as a. Oh, uh, she's the fucking mess. It's it's bless- basically <laughs> interchangeable. Did you see her play? Oh, bless her heart. She tried her best. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you board. hear Melinda's not back on board. crack again and she just can't seem to get a job and hold it down? Bless her heart. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, yeah, so we use words differently. Um, one of the Americanisms that confused me years ago was someone told me that I was quite attractive. Um, in where I grew up, quite attractive means not really attractive. Mm. You're not quite there. And I was really stunned. I thought, why is this person hitting me and trying to say something like you're quite attractive? And then obviously I didn't spend a lot of time with them, but afterwards when they spoke to me again I, and we had a discussion about it, to them quite attractive meant something completely different. So we think we're speaking the same language. So we run into this problem when you're looking at a play that for me, I don't always notice the sections that are uncomfortable for my American actors. And one of the lines that Brian mentioned was, you know, something about you know i was sat there and he says well we don't really say that you know i said i was sitting you know mm-hmm. but i was sat there and i was trying to explain that for me there's a different concept one is more active than the other saying i was just sat there means that i was doing nothing i was minding my own business and this annoying person came and bothered me mm-hmm. right so there's some subtle language meanings in these words that aren't necessarily clear I like it when my actors ask me questions about the language. We do have one um, English cast member and it's really good fun listening to him read the lines because you can hear exactly. Ahoy. I and bet I know this English cast member. I bet I, I know this person. I don't know. Are we, are we allowed to say the cast name? Yeah, I mean, um, Tim Jeffers is playing the role of... Oh, I character. love Tim. He's darling. Bless Actually, not the person I thought it was. <laughs> now I'm sad. Yes. Oh, well, there's some, there is no doubt that um, some of the British actors I have worked with here um, use words in rehearsal that are really shocking. I remember working on a children's show with a person that I've done a podcast with here at Tokyo Closet Ball, whose name I will not mention. And his favorite word, whenever he got a line wrong, was bollocks. (laughs) 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 And I mean, I remember saying to him, you can't keep using that word. I mean, Again, for some people, it's hugely offensive. It's not for me, but for Mm. some people, it's hugely offensive. I said, the other problem is if your default when you make a mistake is to say bollocks at the top of your voice, what happens if you make a mistake on the stage during my children's show? Mm. (laughs) And you just, you know, you talked about people doing unexpected things. Well, there's some unexpected things that are inappropriate, depending on the type of show. Mm. Um, So our choice of language can be problematic. Well, I think some of the things they say that I would describe as crass were unintentional. You know, that you don't always under, so what does it mean to be crass, right? Well, crass is something that was inappropriate to say in the situation. Mm. So there are times when they say things to each other that I can think are completely inappropriate in the situation, but they don't necessarily use bad language. So I think, for example, when, if you're having sex with your partner, you don't really want to start talking about your other partner at that time, especially if they don't approve of. If they approve of, that's a different thing. But you know, when you're 
having that so somebody saying something about another person at that time i think is quite crass people bringing up things like the possibility of having children to a gay couple i think at times is crass mm-hmm. right so it's not that we're after leaving... i was born my father was having sex with my mom and then talked about having a vasectomy and that's why my dad had a vasectomy because that was the conversation my mom and dad had having sex after i was born knowing that information must make you a very well-rounded person yeah <laughs> at, at like i i'm sure that does not burden your psyche in any way shape or form to have that information just in your mind just... i am i'm the best <laughs> youngest child in my family ah so you're the reason the vasectomy happened so you also have that knowledge just sitting there in your brain <laughs> Yes. Please laugh. Hi, mom and dad. I love you. This is a podcast, by the way. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I think it depends what we mean when we say if something is crass. Right. I think there's just situations where we shouldn't ask certain questions or say certain things, and that is a type of crassness. Um, and I think sometimes these characters. So there's the times when they are deliberately being insulting and jabbing each other, and then there's times when they're just running off with their mouth and saying the first thing that comes into their head, and they don't realize in the situation that it's exceptionally hurtful. The last item is the most sticky item in the agenda: intersectionality. Because of the way the characters are described in the play, there are some things that we can determine about them. So I think there are issues of class in the play, um, in the way that W is put down by some of the other men because she's not as well educated and things like that. But that's just one element, right? I don't know if there is, I mean, I looked at it obviously when I read um, Taylor's Agenda, I looked through the play to try and think like what sort of things does it deal with and how does it treat the experience of the people how does it look at their inequality does it look so obviously the play looks at gender it looks at class it does look at sexuality but it doesn't deal with um issues of race um there's no mention at all of the race of the uh the characters there are assumptions that people will make because of where it is set um there's a version of this show on at the minute on the West End, and there is a woman of color in the role of W, as far as I'm aware. So I don't know if it addresses that well. What do you think? In terms of intersectionality, there's always room for improvement. I feel as if, generally speaking, uh, a lot of uh, intersectionality is now more trying to become a like topic of conversation more so than actual representation. And it's kind of bothering me personally. So identities can be can be multiple. They can be layered. Um, you can also change identities over time. So for example, I have had friends who they transitioned into trans masked or trans men. And then they're like, oh, wait, I'm actually straight, I think. And then it's like, okay, that's absolutely valid. And so it's, you know, still in it's still in the community, but has become like they're, oh, I am actually, I think, more in line with straight than I am with uh, being, you know, uh, bisexual or being, you know, gay. And I was like, that's valid. That is absolutely valid. You shouldn't have to like, you don't pigeonhole yourself or force yourself to be something you're not. That's the whole idea of this is that you don't do that. So this this play, so 
unlike a lot of plays that I deal with. So I mentioned Chitty Chitty Bang Bang earlier. In Which a play is like, so intersectional. Yeah. So, oh yeah, not. So in a play like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, you're not allowed to change anything. So like the toy maker, a character of the toy maker has to be played by, they say it has to be played by a man, right? So there's things like that. And there's no reason, there is no reason why that character and the things that they do needs to be that sort of identity. This particular play, because it has the W in the M, is telling you what they think. But things like race, you could cast, there is nothing in this play to stop you casting people of colour. There's nothing in it that stops you. And I mean, the very fact that one of the characters clearly identifies as gay and one of them clearly identifies as not and stuff like that. So there are identities in there. And compared to a lot of the stuff I work on, you know, there are some things about it that are better. I have, I suppose at times I have been appalled at the assumption of casting of certain plays when there's nothing in the text or the material that indicates a certain type of person should be in the role. They go ahead and stick in, you know, whatever they think is the most commercial type of person in the role. Um, and I find that at times quite distressing. Um, so it, there's definitely some interesting things about it, but I agree that it can always be better. And, and also you could cast a wider type of people. One of the things right. that yeah. really upset me recently is that I watched a, a Disney thing, right? Some new series whose name I cannot remember, but it's all okay. the people that were cast were already big named people. They're already made, they're already stars, they're already obvious. And I'm going, come on, you've got these brilliant writers and you've got all this money. You could have cast anyone. You could have taken a chance on something different. You can mm. help tell a different story. You have all that power, but here you are telling the same story. And even this play, it's got three male characters and one female character. Every play I am usually given, if you look at the big musicals I work on, people will say things to me like, oh, there's a lot of women in Sweeney Todd. And no, there are not, there are three female characters against the seven male and one of the women has nine lines I mean oh my goodness her big role I mean people say stuff like that to me you got a great role and I think what the one song against the 14 that the men got why is that a great role another musical I did they said but you opened I opened with four lines I got four lines you know and the other characters well they got the whole rest of the play and mm -hmm. even in an industry where if you look at theater there are three times more women at college than there are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yet the yeah. roles are not in that order at all. Mm -hmm. So yes, we can absolutely do better. We can, and I don't know, I think sometimes we watch something and we're just so pleased. I, you know, I've been very disappointed. I was doing like improv and stuff in the UK at one point and I was really surprised at how heteronormative everything became so quickly. I was just yeah. really, really upset by it because I had these two beautiful men in front of me and this is lovely improv scene and they were having this beautiful, loving relationship. And then somebody went and called one of them a woman and Barbara and started talking about it. And I'm going, what the hell just happened? Like who just derailed what? our beautiful story? Yeah. Um, actually, funnily enough, hey, Tatiana slash. Right. Yeah. Remember when we watched uh, Wonder Woman 1984? And I made the express opinion of there's this is a wonderful lesbian like enemies to lovers movie that keeps getting heteronormative blocked by 
by the, the the men who keep coming in and messing it up that's how i feel like a lot of media does yeah that that, that is a very common feeling i have of like oh wow these two people on set have like great chemistry they're working well oh god here comes the dude or here comes you know the heteronormativity toxic usually heteronormativity yes. too it's not even mm -hmm. good i i but really and if you ever want to see some really toxic heteronormativity tiktok like teenage kids university kids on tiktok they do these challenges where they like i broke his xbox see his reaction and i'm like why would you break your partner's things and call that hilarious stuff like that things yeah. like that i think like for intersectionality part of that is the idea of getting away from that trying to get to a better place where it's not just representation but the idea that you break from that that toxic heteronormativity break from that toxicity of how things sh quote unquote should be like you can find happiness if you just allow yourself to get out of the box if you allow yourself to to kind of break from it but it does take time and that's why uh kind of coming back to labels you know i didn't know bisexuality was a thing until i went into a therapist's office and saw a brochure i think i've talked about this before yeah yeah wait, wait, wait. i've never heard this before you didn't know bisexuality. no 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 i didn't have a word until i was like 15. until well, then i knew i was attracted to women but i always called them girl crushes because you know that's that's something that was around in the 90s you know oh i have a girl crush on insert you know celebrity here usually and like i was attracted to kind of like girls around me kind of I was but like I didn't really have a word for it I didn't really understand it could be a thing you know and then yeah I saw this pamphlet that was just sitting there at the therapist's office and I started reading it and I was like oh oh it me so <laughs> it's me. you know and yeah and that's a great example of times when labels are important and appropriate for us We invite you to watch our stage reading of Cock, a production by Tokyo International Players. Not to be we confused with tits. <laughs> we have two evening shows, May 13th and 14th at 7 p.m. Also, we have two matinees, May 14th and 15th at 2 p.m. We take COVID safety very seriously. So we ask all of our guests to please be ready a negative PCR test or proof of your third vaccination. Any photo or reasonable facsimile is perfectly acceptable. I am so good at reading. Yes, I should be. I should be the understudy for cock. You're, you're so good, but you didn't actually talk about gender essentialism, which was one of the things that was on your agenda. If you had actually been so good at reading, you would maybe have seen. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't need to talk about it. It was just one of those things that happens a lot in the play. Where we'll do that at your next play, Karen. Your your my, play, my about... next play. My next play better not have a lot of people saying, "Well, he's a man. Of course he does that." Or hmm, "She's a woman. I'm hoping it isn't in all my plays." Right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's here in this one quite a bit. But we won't talk about it. It is okay. We don't talk just... about Bruno. No, no, no. We don't talk about Bruno. It's silly o'clock. We got to end this. We shall. Please, please follow Tokyo. <laughs> please follow. Please follow Tokyo on. Can we finish? <laughs> I keep having to mute because I'm gonna die. <laughs> oh God. Oh.
okay. Building community. It's for the community. God damn it. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> I read that already. Tokyo Closet Ball, May 30th. Should we read five up? Please follow Tokyo Closet Ball, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for all the tea you need to know about gender exclusive entertainment in the city of Tokyo. We're going to do the Tokyo Roast Battle April 30th in Shibuya. You can find your tickets in the description. Stay tuned for our yearly pageant in December. It will be the step down of currently reigning Mix Tokyo Closet Ball 2022 Mysterious. It was meant to be a one-year title, but you've had the title for three years. Have you've, I? You've overstayed your welcome. You're basically... You cannot call me that. <laughs> I refuse. Anyway. Uh, maybe I'll cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> Mix serious. If we want to follow you, how can we follow you on social media? You can find me on Instagram at MX underscore serious. Uh, no. T-E-R-I-O-U-S underscore drag because some bitch has Mysterious as an Instagram handle. So there you are. And then, uh, yeah, you can also uh, generally find me probably on the Tokyo Closet Ball, Kings of Tokyo, or Casket of Horrors. I am on line on their YouTube channels, and I'm also like occasionally performing for various people. So, yeah. Hmm. Thank you, Mysterious. How can we follow you, Karen? Gosh, not a question. I normally don't like people following me. Um, I'll follow you into an elevator to pitch me. Will you? But let's face it, I talk for so long. You'll be stuck in there for ages. You'll wish you never did that. Um, if you are trying to follow me on social media, if you type my name, Karen Pauly, in Tokyo, into social media, you will, or into Google, you will find me. You will find my Instagram, my, oh, my Twitter, my website, whatever. Um, for anyone who's actually interested, I'm the sort of person that when she posts on Twitter, she actually loses followers. So, yay! Oh, <laughs> it happened. It's happened a lot recently. I think it's because I used to be a computer scientist, and a lot of people who were following me were following me because I was head of the Pearl Foundation, and not because I'm interested in theater. So, uh, transitioning in from your niche to a different niche. Yeah, that's that, that's how that works. It, that's true. Yeah. And how about you, Zach? Uh, how can we follow you if you want to be followed? Yeah, uh, you can find me on Instagram at Zach Kobayashi. Uh, I spell my name Z-A-C-K, so you can follow, follow me there. Cool. Awesome. And uh, did we say where you can find Tokyo International Players as well? Yes, Tokyo International Players. So if you would like to watch Kalk, go to tokyoplayers.org. Get your tickets to Kalk. We take COVID safety. I said that already, didn't I? I fucking yeah, you said, did. you said that already. Yeah, you you're okay though. Mm. You want to keep us all safe. Safety, safety, like a seatbelt on birth control pills. <laughs> it's been uh, fun. It's been lovely for you to take the time. Yeah. Yes. Hey, do you want to be in? Do you want to be in the photo? Oh fuck! No, we're still recording. <laughs> Well, Karen and Zach, I'm glad you were here for the chaos. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. You're welcome. Please come back whenever you have another production. We would love to hear more from TIP and people of TIP. I'm sure eventually Indigo Soho is going to have another chaotic mess on a stage at some point. But, Absolutely. You know. In October. Ah, there we go. Yes, right now, Indigo Soho, he's performing in Hokkaido. Because without him, it would just be called Kaido. Ha ha ha. 
because yeah, yeah, you're a whore. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. You definitely thank, need to stop recording. <laughs> thank you, Karen, and thank you, Zach, and thank you, Mysterious. You're and welcome. Everybody say bye. Bye. bye.